Alright, well I trust that you're ready for the word this morning. If you haven't got an outline in your hand, just do the thing that we always do on a Sunday. Just wave your hands and wave, wave, wave them hard and vigorously and uh, somebody's going to notice you and going to get you an outline. Hallelujah. Well, I trust that you are um, finding this a profitable study that we're doing inspiring, informational, revelatory, helpful, practical. Uh, we are currently working our way through a series of messages entitled, Lord, Teach Us How to Pray. And Vanessa said, oh, you could have thought of a bit more of an inspiring title. And, uh, well, perhaps I could have. But anyway, that's what it is. And uh, trust that we are inspired by the content. If the, if the heading doesn't inspire us too much, that the content inspires us. Praise God. But let me just say right now that... Uh, uh, if by now you haven't implemented the things that we've talked about for the last three weeks, you're starting to lose it already. Each Sunday when we learn something fresh and something new, let's put it into practice. Remember that the devil is pretty quick to come and steal the words, so we put into practice everything that we're learning. And let me encourage you too, if some of these teachings that we're bringing now and pray on different types of prayers and the associated rules and everything, if that's all just a bit tedious to you, just relax, uh, just relax. It's a bit like, you know, learning how to ride a bicycle. Uh, you know, it's like you do, they say, sit on the bicycle and keep the bicycle upright and grab the handlebars and steer in the right direction and put your feet on the pedals and pedal hard and don't stop pedaling, otherwise you fall over. And some of that is all a bit too much all at once, but, you know, piece by piece. It's a bit like learning dance moves, you know. Now, I'm the wrong person to talk to you about dancing, but uh, I could imagine that, you know, with the, with the whole dance, that there's just different moves, you know, and uh, just different things that learn and uh, whatever that is. And then, you, you know, you do a bit of this and a bit of that. And, and afterwards, you learn to put it all together. And so it is with prayer, that we learn on, about the prayer of, of thanksgiving, the prayer of, of consecration and dedication, the prayer of, of faith and the prayer of intercession, and all of the things that we've already uh, talked about and that we have, we're going to add to it, and then you put it all together. You get into prayer type situation, and after a while, just in, in, you just know what prayer needs to be prayed and how it is to be prayed, and what seemed very hard before is suddenly become second nature. So I encourage you with that. Uh, uh, don't let this overwhelm you. Just grab a hold of whatever you can and put it into practice. And for some of us, we've <laughs> been over this deal, I don't know, dozens of times, uh, and come back to it again, and each time we we, we, it's a refresher for us. And, oh, that's right. I need to make sure that this is in place and that's in place and so that we can have a, a solid prayer life. Um, today, I would like to discuss the prayer of agreement and the prayer of intercession. So we're endeavoring to deal with two prayers today. The opening scripture there is still in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, uh, where it says that it happened while Jesus was praying at a certain place that uh, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And we said that similarly today, just as it was back then, Christians have to be shown how to pray and they have to be taught how to pray. And so we teach prayer in the, the services and we show how to pray in, in prayer meetings throughout the, life, you know, throughout the life of the church and throughout the week. There's prayer meetings going on, and let me encourage you, if you haven't already done so, uh, join at least one prayer meeting in the life of the church, and it's your business to find out when they're on and where they're on. Um, don't be like a baby that has to be spoon-fed and held by the hand and say, do this, sign there, turn up here, just take responsibility and get on board. Uh, 
you know, these things are not spoken to tickle our ears and to just give us a good feeling every Sunday. Oh, wow, that was good. But they are taught so that we can step into these things and mature in the things of the Lord. Uh, so that not only uh, are we able to function in these things, but we help other people to function in that as well. Praise God. That was a bit strong, wasn't it? Uh, I'm going to round it off a bit smoothly uh, uh, as we go along. But so far we have discussed different ki kinds of prayers. We talked about the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of dedication and consecration. We've talked about the prayer of faith. And um, very briefly, uh, just in one or two sentences, the prayer of thanksgiving is the prayer that should sandwich all other prayers by being prayed before and after every other kind or every other type of prayer. Thanksgiving ought to be oozing out of us all day, every day. Uh, as Christians, we ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we are saved. All right. Why? Because God's filled us with His Spirit. Why? Because the blessing of God is on our lives. And why? Because we are heaven-bound. And, and so thanksgiving is a, is a good thing. Then number two, the prayer of dedication and consecration. Um, and that's something that we pray again and again along the way to make sure that we not only found the will of God, but we can move along in the will of God. Uh, we said that this is the only type or the only kind of prayer where we use the word if uh, in there. We, you know, if it is your will, Lord, uh, uh, because we are endeavoring to find the will of God. Uh, and of course, the key phrase in this prayer is, Lord, not my will, but you will be done. Sometimes, you know, we want things. Uh, sometimes we, we, we desire things and they could be fleshly desires. Uh, and we might even get them just because we want them. We are moving forward in these things, but only God's will is blessed. And so we want to move into the will of God and find that place. And, and that is the place of blessing. That is the place where good things happen. And that's the place where we are protected and blessed and all of these other things. And that is also the place where we can fulfill the calling on our lives as believers. How many know that every believer has a calling? Not just the preachers. Every believer has a calling. And everybody has a function to fulfill. One day we're going to stand before Jesus and he will ask us how we went on with the gifts, the talents and the abilities that God has given us. And how did we employ these things for the building of the kingdom? Praise God. And so the prayer of faith, we say it is a basic, uh, the basic function of the prayer of faith is to um, get something from God, something that He has promised us in the written word. Um, it should only be prayed once concerning each specific need. And after we have prayed, we, number one, we hold fast to the confession of our faith. Um, and number two, we offer thanksgiving to the Lord uh, uh, for granting us the answer to our need. Friend, once we see it in the Word, we know it's ours. All we have to do from that point is to receive it. And once we have received it, and we said that the receiving needs to be done at the time of prayer, and then the Bible says we shall have. And during that time period between the receiving and the having, we hold fast to the confession of our faith. We thank the Lord that He's answered our prayer and uh, praise God until the manifestation of uh, what we've prayed for uh, happens. This morning, I would like to then move into the prayer of agreement. Um, it would not be uncommon for a believer who is taught, come and see you and say, look, would you agree with me in prayer about this or that or the other? And it's good for us to be informed so that when they come and talk to us, we, we can actually say, well, yes, I'll agree with you in prayer and let's pray right now together. 
So what does that mean? Well, the prayer of agreement is similar to the prayer of faith, with the only difference being that there is not only one, but at least two persons praying and releasing their faith. They combine their faith and receive from God that which they desire. Let's just pray right now and trust God to speak to us again this morning. Father, we commit this time to you right now, and I thank you, Lord God, that Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is in the house today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we ask that you'd open the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, that this uh, preaching, Lord, and the word is not just information, but it, it's absolute revelation to each and every one of us, transforming our lives and mo moving us further and deeper in the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So two people, or at least two people, two people's the minimum. But then you can add to that as many as you like. And... Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, when people combine their faith and receive from God um, that which they desire. And the key scripture there, uh, where we get all of this from, is in Matthew. One of those is in Matthew 18, verse 19, where Jesus said, Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they shall ask, that anything that they shall ask, we've already qualified, that that needs to be part of the will of God, all right? And so whatever is in the will of God, anything they shall ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The word agreement there is a very distinct and a very specific word. It comes from the Greek word symphoneo, and immediately we recognize that this is the base word from which we get the English word symphony orchestra or symphony a uh, piece of music that's a symphony, uh, meaning that there's a piece of music where, you know, there is quite a number of uh, musicians and possibly singers playing one piece of music. There's different, um, different instruments are making slightly different sounds, but it's all in harmony with each other. Uh, nobody is off. Nobody is off key. One might be an octave higher than the other one, but there's still a symphony there. And friends, in the body of Christ, and I mean generally now, we're not about uniformity, but everybody has to be dressed the same, move the same, speak the same, but we all have to be in harmony with one another, moving forward together. Or the word symphoneo comes from two Greek words, what they call a, a, uh, a compound word, from the word sun, uh, S-U-N, which means together, and phoneo, which means sound. Phoneo, because telephone, uh, sound, speaking going on. Um, and uh, what is very, very important is that uh, when we talk about agreement, we're not just talking about verbal agreement, we're talking about a heart agreement. It's easy to agree verbally, and say, oh, yeah, 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 I agree. But we need to engage our heart. And you know the prayer of agreement uh, the prayer of agreement is only a prayer of agreement once we have agreed from our heart. We can do all the verbal agreement that we like. You know, two people that, that hate each other, hate each other's guts, if I can use that expression, could get together and verbally agree concerning something, but it's not going to happen because the agreement needs to be from the heart. There needs to be a heart engagement in this whole thing. All right, so heart agreement. That's what we're talking about. Now here in Acts chapter 4, and it's in your outline, and it's also on the screen behind you. 
behind me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, there's an example here of more than one person. There's a bunch of people coming together in agreement and praying a prayer of, of, of agreement together. And it's very powerful. Uh, what happened was that Peter and John had just been down to the prayer meeting down at the temple. As they walk in, here's a lame man sitting at the, at the gate. And of course, we know the story. Peter comes along and points at a man and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I've, I have give I you, rise up and walk. The man gets miraculously healed. They, they hop, skip and jump into the temple, get to the prayer meeting. The whole thing caused such a stir and such, such a fuss that the religious leaders of the day got upset. They were jealous by this whole thing because they couldn't perform in those types of miracles and they felt threatened by this new deal that had arrived. And so they locked these guys up overnight, brought them out the next day and, and began to say, well, by, in whose name and by whose power have you done this? Because these guys then answer Peter and John, says we've done this by the name of Jesus and because they preach the gospel to them. And these guys threaten them and say, don't you use that name again and we do not want you to do that and every, everything. And uh, because being as bold as what they were, they say, well, you know, you guys work out whether we ought to obey you or whether we ought to obey God. And then they left. The Bible says they went back to their own company. Here it says in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they, that's all the people that were gathered together, all the believers, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God in one accord. All right? In one accord. Again, in, in a symphony, just everybody praying. Not just one person praying and everybody listening, but everybody praying together in one accord and said, and this is the sum total of what they said, um, now, we don't know specifically if there was one person praying those words and everybody else agreeing or whether we're given the summary of everything that was prayed, but here it is. It says, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then they, it goes along for some time. There's prayer going on right now. Again, we're not told how long they prayed for, but everybody is on board. And you see, friend, there is a multiplication factor of faith when people live in harmony and pray in agreement and God's power is released in their midst. Now, the devil knows that too. That's why the devil tries to stir up strife and division in different settings, uh, churches, uh, in, in, in small groups, in families, in different situations. The devil wants to sow seeds of hatred and seeds of, of uh, you know, just, uh, just um, revenge and who knows what. Uh, but God always moves us to to move in agreement together. And down here in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is now in response to their prayers. Everybody is filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, presumably, some of those were already filled. Now, others that had joined them are now all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Uh, you see, boldness comes through prayer amongst other things. Uh, uh, in fact, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's speaking about us. We are the righteous. And we ought to be as bold as a lion. And if we are intimidated or timid in any area, it's good to remind ourselves that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have given a spirit of power and of love and of a sound and a disciplined mind. And that we are bold. Um, so anyway, they're all uh, speaking the word with great boldness. Verse 33, and with great power the apostles gave witness 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the apostles functioned at a higher level in terms of the preaching of the gospel and miracles that were happening. It, it does go back to prayer. Um, praise God for everybody that is uh, got a gift and functions in an anointing and so forth and in a particular calling and everything, but everything has to be bathed and empowered by prayer. Okay, and so um, it says, And great grace was upon them all. All prayed, and great grace was upon them all. And so this is what's happening. Um, each person participating in a prayer meeting should make it his or her business to agree with the prayer leader from their heart and say so. Agreement has to be verbalized rather than, would you agree with me in prayer? No, we say yes. Amen basically means I ate my agreement to this prayer. I tell you what, folks, uh, there is something really about that in terms of this whole unity. For me personally, I listen to music and I hear harmony and something, the most holy emotions get stirred up on the inside of me as a result of what I'm hearing because I'm hearing such unity. This is one of the things why music is such a powerful tool where, you know, it's been said that some of the world's most famous bands couldn't get on off stage, but they got on stage and they got into a groove together and produced the most marvelous music and everything. But what we're talking about, we're not just talking on stage, we're talking off stage in, in every setting that we're, we've got a hard agreement. We lay down uh, our, our differences and disagreements and, and, and squabbly little hurts and this and that and the other, and we just get over it. <laughs> I mean, you know what they said. You know, they said, build a bridge and get over it. And sometimes we've got to slap ourselves for little, silly, little squabbly things where people go on and on and on, and next minute you've got a major feud on your hand, and then you say, well, what did, where, did, where did this actually start? Or we can't remember how it started. We now, we now hate each other. Oh, for goodness sake, get over it. All right? Families, <laughs> moms and dads, kids. <laughs> stuff going on. It's like, get over it. Hallelujah. So, hard agreement. We're talking about, we're talking about a symphony orchestra. We're talking about getting on board and adding our agreement. And you know, in, in typical prayer meetings today, I'm not talking about our meetings, I'm talking typical prayer meetings that could be, that could be as, as little as 10-15% of the people in the meeting actually adding their agreement. The others are just there because they, have, they feel a religious duty to be there and they enjoy the presence of God that somebody else has prayed down. And so the idea is for everybody to get on board and everybody to get excited and everybody to add their agreement and uh, so that greater power is released. The Bible says that one shall put a thousand to flight and two shall put ten thousand to flight. So there's a multiplication factor that happens. But you know, all that's really required on regards to one issue is two people. Two people praying together. But of course, when you know we've got a prayer meeting going on and everything, it's getting agreement uh, in prayer, getting agreement in that particular group, and uh, we can change the world. Hallelujah. We can absolutely change the world and affect uh, the salvation of, uh, of just uh, multiplied uh, uh, numbers of people. In fact, I'm now moving into the prayer of intercession. And let me tell you, I'm stirred up. I'm really stirred up. I'm very excited. Okay, I'm very excited. Just re-looking at some of that is like, wow. You know, I mean, I'm, I'd like to believe that I'm 
I'm a man of prayer and I believe in prayer, but I'm, I'm, I believe in prayer more today than what I did a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it's just, I guess, uh, restudying all of that and re-looking at some of that and re-reading some of these things and, and re-looking some of the testimonies of history in regards to how revivals have come about and what's happened. It's like I'm really stirred up. Now, the basic purpose and function of the prayer of intercession is to pray for other people. All right. I don't need to see for myself. Uh, I can pray for things, but in terms of intercession, I'm praying for other people, for nations, communities, for families, for individuals, for God's will to be done in their lives. I might not always know God's will in a specific sense, but I know the general will of God is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For all men to walk in the purposes of God and all men to you know, to come into, into salvation, be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and deliver a life of, of health and of peace and of prosperity and of, of usefulness and, and productivity. And this is all the general will of God. Uh, but in the process of praying for somebody, God reveals to us specific things. And we can pray those out and affect change in the lives of other people. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. New Living translation it says i urge you first of all to pray for all people now first of all must mean something um and in fact many times uh, in our prayer meeting in our prayer meeting during the week there we start with that scripture here that god tells us that first of all he asks us to pray for all people ask god to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them now that's a bit of a strange one give thanks for them Lord, I thank you for this person. Now, that's almost like language that we have to learn. It's not something that we hear in the world. Uh, sometimes, you know, like sometimes, if, if it's right, you know, like, uh, you know, parents thank the Lord for their kids. But, but here we, we thank God for all people. We thank God for kings and for all who are in authority and so forth. In fact, you read the writings of Paul in the New Testament. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you in my prayers. So there's a deal there that like, God just opened my eyes to that the other day and said, wow, Lord, I thank you for that person. And, and, and something, something happens. We mention their name and God's on their case. All right? I can absolutely tell when people are praying for me. I, I, I certainly know when, certainly touch of God. God touches me. Uh, sometimes physically I feel the touch of God and so, certainly I'm aware that I'm, a, I'm in a bubble of God's presence and I know somebody's praying for me. The trouble is we don't always see what's happening when we pray and we might get discouraged. Oh, is it going to do any good? Absolutely. If we pray in faith, uh, absolutely it does things. He says, pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority that we may live a peaceful, a peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants all men saved, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, that's God's will. That's the general will of God. God is not determined some people to, to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. You know, there's something very, very wrong with that doctrine of predestination that has been passed down to us from, from uh, theologians that got it wrong a couple of, three, four hundred years ago. And then some of the excesses, you know, even within the doctrine of, of uh, 
predestination, there's different branches under that, uh, like we just need to work our way through that, uh, but, but always come back to what the Word says. Because there's literally preachers that have believed that some people were absolutely doomed to be damned. Uh, like, no matter what you could do for them, not even hardly any sense in preaching the gospel to them because they were doomed to be damned. Well, that's not true. That is a lie. God wants the gospel preached to every creature under the sun and have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Um, and so you and I need to understand today that all Christians that are saved, all people that are saved today, as of today, 2012, are saved for two reasons. Number one, because it's God's will for all people to be saved. And they're part of all people. And number two, because somebody prayed and interceded for them. You think about that. Somebody prayed. Some of us turned up at a meeting somewhere and somebody had already prayed that God save the people that are coming today. And others have prayed, Lord, draw these people to, to into this place where the gospel, they can hear the preaching of the gospel. I tell you what, it's battle. There's like a battle going on all the time to keep people out of churches, to keep people out of special meetings, to keep people at home. And like the devil will, will, will move anything and everything. You know, the kids throw up, the car breaks down, and they have a fight before they should come down. And suddenly, you know, when everything was all prepared, and on the night say, oh, we're going to see you tonight, aren't we? Oh, no, something's happened. And, uh, you know, the, and so we pray for them that God will move every hindrance and every, every aspect of whatever the devil might throw in their way to keep them back. Because, you know, we've got people that, are, that, that, we are coming, that we get coming to our house here that can absolutely get everybody safe that is in the house. You know, evangelists, people like Don McDonnell, who is due to come again next year. And I've said this before. If we can get people in the house, he can get them safe. He's got that anointing on his life as an evangelist. And so leading up to these things, we pray and we absolutely intercede and we stand in the gap for people. There has never been a revival or a so-called sovereign move of God of any kind without somebody taking the time to pray for God's will to be done. Without somebody praying and, and petitioning God to pour out His Spirit in that setting, pour out His Spirit in that community, pour out His Spirit on that meeting and touch the, the preacher so that there is power released when the Word of God is spoken. So as the Bible says that the, the Word goes forth in demonstration of the Spirit and of great power. There is no such thing as a sovereign move of God where suddenly God decides and says, oh, oh, where shall I pour out my Spirit today? Boys, what do you think? Okay, let's pour it out over there today. Okay, that's enough. enough. Pour it out over there. No such thing. Young Cho went to America some years ago. And uh, he was preaching in America and he suddenly hit an unction and he says, somebody, revival is coming to America. And you know, they can tell you a, a thing or two about revival in Korea because they got people praying all the time. He says, somebody get me a map of America. So they quickly rushed around and got him a map of America. And he looked at it and he looked at it and then he, he put his finger down on Florida on a town, on a city called Pensacola. He says, revival is coming to Pensacola. Now, of course, we could look at that and say, oh, well, there you are. God just determined the Pensacola. There's an Assemblies of God church down in Pensacola. Vanessa and I were there in mid to late 90s, whenever it was. And uh, we, we sat in, in for half a week worth of meetings just to observe everything that was going on. And uh, somebody could say, well, there you are. There you are. God just sovereignly moved in that particular setting. He just picked 
that church out and decided that there he was going to pour out his spirit. What we found out later on is that the pastor and the leadership team in that place had been preparing for revival for years. Like, I mean years. They removed tradition and commandments of men. They dealt with issues. They preached and they preached holiness and consecration and unity and, 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 and just basically prepared the place and suddenly God put out His Spirit. A army chaplain that had been stationed in Germany for some time with the army uh, troops that are stationed there from the United States and he was uh, transferred to Korea. And uh, he couldn't believe the results that he was getting in his ministry. And then he got a chance to talk to Yong Ri Cho, who is the pastor of uh, the largest church in the world. They nearly got some, I don't know, million, million members over there in Seoul, Korea. And man, they are praying people over there. They've got a place called Prayer Mountain. And every morning at uh, 4.35 o'clock, there's people praying there and pouring out their hearts before God, asking God for the outpouring of His Spirit, asking God for revival, asking God to shake the nation by the power of God. And this chaplain said to, uh, 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 to uh, David Yonghe Cho, he says, uh, uh, he says, Pastor Cho, he says, why is it, he says, when I preach the same message, the same sermon that I preached back in Germany, and I hardly got any responses there at all, just, you know, stone cold faces. He says, I preach the same sermon over here, and I get incredible results. Yonghe Cho said, it's easy. Uh, David Yonghe um, <laughs> Cho, I get a bit confused. He used to be Paul, and then he changed his name to David Yongicho. He says it's easy. He says in Germany, hardly anybody's praying. But here in Korea, he says, we've got thousands of Christians praying. And the same message has a major effect on people. And so basically what we are saying is that uh, that whole aspect of praying is so important and we mustn't get discouraged in the middle of it all because we haven't quite seen the things that we've prayed for. Prayer of intercession is an ongoing sort of a deal. It's not something that you pray once and then consider it done. I mean, we as a church have prayed for, for revival ever since we started, and we've seen pockets of it. We've seen amazing things. I mean, miracles. I mean, just incredible things and, and moves of God, uh, uh, if you like. But uh, we, there's greater things to be done in our city yet, greater things to be done in our region. And so maybe we'll have to back up just a little a little bit and say, okay, but where's our prayer life at right now? See, even the birth of Jesus Christ, as much as that was prophesied in the Old Testament, as, that, as much as that was said in place that it was going to happen, even that was prepared for in prayer by an old lady by the name of Anna the prophetess. Let me read that to you. I, when I saw that scripture, I was amazed. Because the Bible over in, is it in Galatians, it says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. We might say, well, that date would have been set uh, even from, from before the foundation of the world. It might have been. But God still wanted somebody to pray. Just because something is God's will doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen. Somebody has to pray the will of God. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of... Uh, of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 40, uh, 84 years. So she was 84 years old, had got married when she was a young woman, lived with her husband for seven years until he died, 
and she's been a widow ever since. Um, this woman uh, did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What had happened was that Jesus Christ had been born in the manger, and of course the Bible is clear, we are told how all of that happened. On the eighth day, according to uh, the demands of the law of Moses, his parents brought him in for circumcision and everything, and just at that moment the woman turns up, and she had been praying for the Messiah. She had been praying for all of that to happen. And suddenly here it is. You know, praying people are also led by the Spirit that just happens to turn up at crucial moments. Simeon was another one there. Simeon was an old man. And he was a praying guy. And here's Anna the prophetess. And Simeon that prayed in, a, in one of the most driest period of Israel in, in its whole history. Pray for God's will to be done. And did not allowed themselves to get discouraged and say, oh, what's the point? Uh, they absolutely prayed. And uh, there was what the Bible scholars call the 400 years of silence from Malachi, who was the last prophet, to the time that John the Baptist turned up 400 years of spiritual dryness. Sometimes we look around in society and say, oh, man, things are bad. Things have never been this bad. No, 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 things have been worse than that. It could actually get worse. I'm not saying it will, but it could get worse. In fact, you look at the rise and the fall of societies, the rise and the fall of communities, and it all goes back that at a certain point, somebody locks down in prayer and say, Lord, we've had enough. We don't want any more of this. We want the outpouring of your spirit. People need to get saved. People need to be born again. We need to get God back into politics. We need to get God back into business. We need to get God back into the education system. We need God in these areas. We need God in the streets rather than drunkenness and, uh, and all this other stuff that goes on. Read the histories of revivals. Uh, just amazing stuff that went down. They talk about the Welsh revival. They talk about the revival in the Hebrides. Uh, in places where revival happened, there was pubs were emptied out overnight. And there was no more, no more drinking going on. And a lot of these places, because everybody's down at the church, well, you know, we're not going to see that again. You know, now people are modern and everything. The, the, the condition of the human heart is the same no matter at which time the people live, whether they lived in the Stone Age or in the Dark Ages or whether they live today, what they call a modern age. Modern age. Huh. How modern can you get? We're killing 20,000 babies in our nation through abortion. How modern can you get? We need a move of God. That's what we need. Drunkenness in the street, in Queen Street in Auckland, there's just, a, there's just a coming alive of an element of the devil getting into young people's lives and just stuff going on. We need a move of God. Only a move of God is going to fix this thing. Politicians, I'm sure they're doing the best that they can and they don't need our criticism, they need our prayers, but they haven't got the answer to, to the social woes that they're seeing. How can you legislate that sort of stuff? It's like... We need a move of God. The outpouring of God's Spirit at Pentecost was also preceded by prayer where 120 believers prayed in the upper room for some days from the time that Jesus ascended to, to heaven for about six, seven, eight days to the time that Pentecost happened. 
Now we might say, well, Pentecost, that was already a date that was set, and we say, well, yes, it was. A lot of these things are God's will, and they're already set in place, but then God moves on somebody to pray this thing through. So that when it happens, there's an openness in the hearts of people. And because God touched these people in the prayer meeting, uh, that we're in the prayer meeting first. God says, you pray, I'm going to touch you first. And then they're spilled out into the streets. We know the story. Revival starts with one person. And one person saying, let's have a prayer meeting. And then other people get affected. They catch the vision. And suddenly God's moving in a small group of people. And then it spills out from there. So have a personal revival. Don't wait for anybody else. And pour it on somebody else. So 120 believers prayed in the upper room. And so even each subsequent outpouring where God moved on people to pray and intercede for people, for towns, cities, nations, governments, I suggest to you that we look around today and society things are not looking all that good. But I suggest to you, if it had not been for the prayers of the saints up to this point, things would be a whole lot worse today. So in the middle of it all, let's be encouraged, but let's not watch the decline of society to go further and further. Let's have revival. I want to talk to you briefly about an intercessor by the name of Father Nash, Daniel Nash, a minister of the gospel that uh, had given himself to prayer back in 1800-something, uh, 1820, 1830, uh, in, in the United States of America, when uh, uh, Charles Finney, who was a... Uh, an evangelist, a minister of the gospel, Father Nash joined himself to, to uh, Charles Finney and the two of them together rocked that nation by the power of God. There was the prayers of one man and the preaching of another man that absolutely transformed uh, the nation of America. Now we know that the foundation of America is in, you know, the, the, the forefathers were Christians, but you know, at that stage, things had, the uh, societies had already lost the plot. Things were not very good at that particular point in time. And God raised up a young man by the name of Charles Finney who studied as a, to become a lawyer. He studied law. And in the process, he met a minister. Uh, and some of those discussions that they had, uh, some of these dialogues, and, uh, and Finney didn't even believe, but he says yeah, he enjoyed talking to this minister, and, you know, dialoguing and almost like discussing things and sparring, uh, if you like. And so got touched by the power of God during this process that he got saved and he started to get the call for the ministry stirring, and so he joined the Presbyterian Church, and he became a Presbyterian minister. And when they ordained somebody, they got this board, and somebody, you know, they bring these people before that board to be examined. And one of the examiner, whatever that means, was a man by the name of Daniel Nash, who was a, also a Presbyterian minister. And Charles Finney, when he started to determine that he was going to go, and he traveled around different places around the states and around New York and upstate and uh, there was one particular town uh, uh, Rochester if I pronounce it right where practically the whole city got saved the bar you know a few people I know 80 90 percent of the people got saved the power of God so shook that city because this man got up and he had an incredible being a lawyer he had an incredible uh, irresistible logic about the preaching of the gospel 
But that wasn't the power or the only power. There was a man in the back room that he prayed, and his name was Father Nash. And Father Nash would go into these communities, sometimes weeks ahead of these meetings, and he would get some rented room in some boarding house somewhere. And usually, sometimes he was by himself, and there was another man by the name of uh, uh, Cloney uh, that would join him, and others, there were several of them, and they would lie before God, and they would weep, and they would pray, and they would ask for the outpouring of the Spirit to happen when the preaching of the gospel took place. And there was such effect on people's lives. And, you know, Charles Finney was the man that started this thing, what we call today, altar call, that before people left, he called for a decision. Uh, and today we call it altar call. Uh, Charles Finney started all of that. So this man, uh, Father Nash, he went ahead into towns and cities, locked himself in a room, and he began to pray. It's been said that when uh, he was in this room and uh, he wasn't just sort of quietly praying, he got into groaning in the spirit and into travailing um, and in agony before God, fasting and praying. One time, him and one of his other guys were in this room in this boarding house and the lady owner of the boarding house went to Charles Finney and she says, oh, oh, she says, uh, uh, Brother Finney, would you please come and see to, to uh, this uh, Daniel Nash. He's been in this room now. Uh, they haven't eaten in three days and I'm, I've opened the door and I've peeked in and they're lying on their face and they're groaning and the noise coming out of there is absolutely terrible. She was really concerned for these men. But they were praying and they were groaning and they, they were birthing, they were birthing uh, under the spirit of intercession, they were birthing revival in that part of, uh, of the United States. And God absolutely put out His Spirit and changed the whole deal. It's been said that Charles Finney and his preaching, backed up by the prayers of Father Nash and others, they, they, were, they had the most influence on the United States as being called a Christian nation because at that stage it wasn't a Christian nation. Constitution had been laid and everything was all put together very well, very nicely in terms of the Word of God is the foundation, but there had already been a slipping and a sliding away. And so Charles Finney, God raised up this man and it shook the nation and it, it started what's called the Great Awakening, where suddenly people woke up and said, wow, we need to do something about our eternal uh, destiny and we need to seek God and we need to be in church and... and uh, and there was just a game place that just shut, shut down to the theaters, places of uh, entertainment just shut down. Um, in places like uh, in the Welsh Revival, um, when that really took hold, they, it's been said that uh, the, the pubs were shut down like a business, went out of business. Police force were redundant because crime so went down that there was hardly any crime to attend to. Uh, and so the police people, they also had a, a band, a brass band, and so when the, the chief of police from outside that region said, what are you guys doing? He says, well, he says, there's no crime to attend to. So most of us play an instrument. So we were out in the meetings. We were playing, we were playing instruments in these Christian meetings and, uh, and everything. So who's the police in the band? Because <laughs> they're basically redundant. They've got no work. The miners, uh, who are known to be a hard folk, the miners were so transformed by the power of God that all swearing ceased overnight. They had to retrain the horses. To, eat, to, to train them uh, because they were used to being sworn at and, and you know, horses, you know, this and <laughs> four-letter version. They had to retrain the horses, otherwise they couldn't get them to work anymore because they no longer used foul language. So, friend, it's not too late. We can have revival in New Zealand and we can have it now. We've got pockets of it. We've got a measure of it. But we want more. We want more.
Charles Finney said, the key which unlocked the heavens in this revival, that was in Rochester in that place, the key which unlocked the heavens in this revival was the prayer uh, of, uh, of Father Nash, Clary, and other unnamed folk who laid themselves prostrate before God's throne and besought him for a divine outpouring. And God answered with prayer. And Finney, it's been said, he depended more on the prayers of Father Nash and Clary to bring down the Holy Ghost revival than upon his own resistless logic in preaching. As I said before, Finney had been trained to be a lawyer, you know, to debate in a court type situation, to lay forth an argument in a very precise and a logical manner. And his preaching was like that. But it wasn't the, the, the logic that so touched people. It was the prayers that empowered the logic and the word of God that absolutely uh, transformed that community and brought forth revival. Often Father Nash wouldn't, not just reading here, this is a, an excerpt out of some writings that I found, Often Father Nash would not attend meetings, but while Finney was preaching, Nash was praying for the Spirit's outpouring upon him. And Finney stated, I did the preaching altogether, and Brother Nash gave himself up almost continually to prayer. There was one time, and you know they went into places with hardened folk, hardened folk. There was a bunch of young guys that had almost sat in a whole row in the meeting there. Because the word was out. There was meetings happening. There was a guy by the name of Finney was preaching. And there's this guy called Father Nash who can be heard. Uh, in fact, Father Nash was in the woods one time. And, uh, and he was praying. It was one of those early morning prayer meetings that he had by himself. And one of those quiet mornings where he was heard three quarters of a mile away. Crying out for souls. And... This whole thing so stirred that town and that city that people fell to their knees everywhere and absolutely surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. There weren't any of those half-baked salvations but as a half-baked where you know, people give an emotional response and three weeks later they're nowhere to be found. It's been said that 80% of the people that got saved in Finnish meetings were still there two years later, still serving God. And uh, many of those, uh, of those young people ended up going into ministry. They so felt called by God and so surrendered their life and so separated themselves from the world that uh, Finney later on in his life ended up becoming a professor in the Bible seminary and trained a lot of these young people, got into doing systematic theology. But they had meetings there. There uh, was a whole row of young people just, uh, I guess, just there to cause trouble and just there to hinder hinder, to try to hinder the power of God that was flowing and uh, it's been said that Father Nash got up in one of these meetings and he addressed a group of young people that had almost locked arms with one another and just like cheering and just there to resist rather than there to humble themselves and he says, young man, he says, God's going to break your ranks within one week. He says, he'll, he'll either do it for some of you getting saved or otherwise some of you are going to be sent to hell. But mark my words, he says, the power of God's going to break your ranks. And uh, Finney got concerned of, oh no, 
can't say that. And, you know, there was, there was just like a holy hush. And everybody all know Father Nash went too far. But the story goes that before the week was out, the leader of that group came to Finney and so humbled himself and he was in such great distress, in distress of mind and distress of soul, that he absolutely came, humbled himself and said, how do I get saved? That God saved and then Finney said to him, and they said, what about the others? He said, you better go back and you tell them too that they need to get saved too because Finney has prayed and he's spoken and something's bad going to happen and this, you know, these guys got saved and within one week the whole group of them was saved. There was a, uh, a bar owner in town and all the opposers and all the criticizers got themselves together in that bar because they, they, like, there was like the, the battle line had been drawn up. People that got saved and then others that just still streaming into the meetings and night after night uh, having what they call revival meetings, just night after night having meetings. And then some of the opposers, even ministers were speaking against this whole thing and questioned the methods of uh, these altar calls and everything. And there was a bar across the road and the bar owner was one of the worst characters in town, such a hard man that each time when he saw a Christian walking past, he would curse them out and he would absolutely try to insult them as much as what he could. And he was just the worst guy in town. And everybody gathered around him and they were you know, going on about this rubbish that was going on down at the other meeting. Father Nash had a list and he'd write down that man's name on his prayer list and he began to pray. And uh, I don't know the time frame that was involved, but some time into this whole thing, this man, this bar owner, walked into the meeting, uh, in, into the meeting there as the meeting was on, as the meeting started and everything, and people turned around and nearly sucked the, the air out of the room. I thought, oh no, here he is. He's come to cause trouble. But Finney said that he knew that this man, when he saw him, he was under such great distress distress of mind and so distressed in his heart because of the prayers of Finney and make a long story short he went down and in the end he committed his life to Jesus Christ and he went back and he served no more alcohol in this bar he had prayer meetings in his bar every night <laughs> praying for the revival that was going on so friends don't tell me that anybody's beyond salvation we just need somebody to pray and to lock into God So, so Nash, he was in some adjoining house and he would pray. He would be upon his face with an agony of prayer and God answered in the marvels of his grace. With all due credit to Mr. Finney for what was done, it was the praying man who held the ropes. The tears they shed, the groans they uttered are written in the books or in the book of the Chronicles of the Things of God. Because a lot of these things, uh, Father Nash was a, a minister of the gospel, but he effectively all but gave up his preaching ministry because he felt so drawn to the prayer ministry to pray for Finney. He recognized that there was a calling and an anointing on this life. The two of them teamed up, and God does that. God links people up. A while ago we heard that uh, what went on in South, in South Africa, uh, then Johannesburg with... with um, with Ray McCauley arriving back in town and God linked him up with the musicians and God linked him up with people and, and together they made such an impact on this nation that not only affected South Africa but the whole continent of Africa and around the world. Uh, 
and, and uh, God links people up. This is more than just attending church. This is a few notches beyond that, that God links people up and says, we're going to lock together. We're going to flow together. One's got, some are going to pray, some are going to preach, some are going to make music, and others are going to fill other gaps. But together, we're going to affect this nation, and we will not cease our prayers until we've seen revival in the land. Ezekiel 22, verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. This is God speaking now in Ezekiel. When the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel had once again backslidden. It all went back to the kings and to the prophets and the priests that they had when they had godly leaders. They did well, but a lot of times they didn't have godly leaders and things were particularly bad at that time. And God said, this is all that's going on. Verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall, a wall, and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Of course, this is Old Testament. Judgment of God was poured out. You know, God held back judgment as long as he could, but at a certain point, judgment was poured out. God was looking for an intercessor. Now, of course, we're in the New Testament now. We've got, you know, this is the period of grace, but people still reap what they sow. There's still consequences for sin. There's still consequences for bad decisions, ungodly lifestyles, and so forth. But God was looking for an intercessor, and God is looking for intercessors today who would absolutely lock down and pray for that particular setting. And uh, in fact, it's been said that Father Nash died at 56 years of age. Uh, he basically wore himself out. It's been said that when he, wa when he was praying with his fastings and in prayers, and you know, some of these people didn't use good wisdom, I must say. You know, we know more today than what they knew back then. Um, didn't really look after himself. And uh, it's been said that in the end he went into the room with a, <clears throat> with a map of the world and he prayed over nations. Probably prayed for us here in New Zealand. And he died on his knees. So is God looking for intercessors? Absolutely. And I know many of you are intercessors. Practically everything that we enjoy today has not been because of the hard work, and even though a lot of it is hard work in terms of advancing the kingdom of God, but it goes back to the prayer. In fact, there's a partnership. People praying, people serving, people preaching, and people praying, and others discipling. There's every, room for everybody to be involved, and so that, so that our endeavors... Serving God, God can breathe on that. But there's an outpouring of the Spirit and we're having the results that we're trusting God for. Final scripture here in Galatians. Sorry, I'm just a bit emotional here today. 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. There is an aspect of prayer called travailing. It's, a, it's a, an intense type of prayer. The Bible tells us even the whole of creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Even creation is travailing. Because the earth is not happy with the ungodliness that's happening on it. And Paul said, because Galatians were a church that he started, and you know, you talk to the average minister who, who is endeavoring to, to minister to people, he's got a group of people that he's responsible for, they can tell you a thing or two about travailing and over these people and travailing until first they are saved and until such time that they are maturing in the things of God. In Galatians, in the New Living Translation, he says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So first we travail for people for them to be saved, and then we travail again, that they mature in the things of the Lord and move out of babyhood stage and into a life of responsibility using their gifts and their talents to get on board with the team so that everybody in the body of Christ is fulfilling a task and a job and a gift and a function so that together we can affect this nation and the world. So evidently, Paul was agonizing in prayer for their salvation and he's agonizing for them again. Praise God. Prayer. Father Nash prayed throughout the pre the, while the preaching was happening in terms of... Uh, um, you know, finished preaching and everything, and uh, and praise God, so that there was just a constant, uh, a constant flow of the Spirit of God in touching people's lives and absolutely bringing forth um, salvation, bringing forth uh, God's plan in their lives.